Hey, it's Tony. On today's show, we'll talk to Pat Forty about Caitlin Clark's record-breaking night. We'll chat with Jeff Passan about the top free agents left on the market as pitchers and catchers report. Pitchers and catchers, greatest three words in the English language, <laughs> pitchers and catchers. But first, boys and girls, let's do some commerce. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. Daniel knows that I want to do things that are not necessarily hardcore sports and we want to be varied like on birthdays for example daniel will say it's this birthday and that birthday and if he gets to a chicago cub or chicago bear i go no chicago <laughs> Bull, no no we're not gonna do it we're not gonna do it we're You're not gonna listen to the show. on this we're not going to do it he says but it's michael jordan i don't care i don't care we have enough jordan the tony kornheiser show is on now speaking of references to the pti show uh, there was an open yesterday a valentine's day open yeah right? roses are yeah well, you, no oh, those, you know what did you do oh what did you do that's right and yes. i said i watched the niagara ice dogs against the eerie otters and <laughs> ohl O-H-L action <laughs> we get this listen to this hi tony i watch you and mike daily on pti and love it you made my day my year today when you open with the comment about watching the Niagara Ice Dogs. I'm sitting here in St. Catharines, Ontario, and for 16 years, I have been the play-by-play voice <laughs> of the Niagara Ice Dogs. You will be the open of our game tomorrow night. Thanks for the logic and the entertainment. Ted Lehman, Niagara Ice Dogs play-by-play. How great that's is unbelievable. That? <laughs> I mean, honestly, that's simply, right? Michael, Sean, that's unbelievable. With this show, it's nothing's crazy. unbelievable. <laughs> the Niagara Ice Dogs. He does the play-by-play. That, Eric wrote that. Yeah. Eric wrote the line. Eric I've never w- heard of the Niagara Ice Dogs. Oh, I've been to Niagara Falls a lot of times. But now you're a big fan. Yes. <laughs> great. That's, that's just so great. All right. Um, you know, we're, we're going to have Pat Forty on the show today, and we're going to talk a lot about Caitlin Clark. I, I just want to mention, I watched the first half of that, and she hit the shot that, that broke the record and made her the highest-scoring NCAA um, D1 uh, in women's college basketball ever, was from the logo. And she said afterwards she wanted to do it from the logo, because that's her shot. <laughs> that's what she does. She's a natural crowd pleaser. I've got to assume it was meaningful to her to break the record at home and to do it on a night when she scored 49, and I've got to assume she wanted 49 or 50 or 60. That she was going to gun it, yeah. um, you know, because she's at home and she's going to get all this acclaim <clears throat> anyway. So why not have one of the great nights ever? And we'll get to this with Pat Forty, but I'll, I'll just be very brief here. At some point, she's going to break Pete Maravich's record. I think it's a very dangerous business to compare women to men in sports. I, I, I just I don't think it's a wise thing to do. Pete Maravich averaged over 40 points a game in all of his three, only three years in college because he wasn't allowed to play as a freshman. Caitlin Clark has four years now and could get a fifth year. The co- to say, oh, she's better than Maravich, don't be nuts. But the comparison to Maravich to me is valid because she actually thinks pass first. If you watched her last night, as she's coming up the court, she just wants to pass it. She's a great scorer and a great ball handler, but she wants to pass the ball, and that's what... Maravich, the two greatest college passers I ever saw were Pete Maravich and Ernie DiGregorio, and you pretty much have to be my age to know who they are and to have seen them. Um, Tiger Woods, I'm glad Michael is here because Tiger Woods opened yesterday a, a very nondescript round on 18 at Riviera 
which is the famous hole where you walk up the hill afterwards uh, into the clubhouse. And that's a hard walk. Tiger went shankopotamus. Did you he see that, Michael? Yeah. Yes. He, and he owned it. He presented the hosel first. <laughs> Just total shankopotamus. Later said he had back spasms. We uh, are we not? Uh, look, we're all thrilled to see Tiger, but he, he physically he can't play anymore anywhere near the level he had, right? Uh, I would say yes and no. This is historically a, a tournament that means a lot to him, which is why he's now the host of it. You look at when he was an amateur playing here when he was, I think, 16 years old, a uh, kid from Southern California. But when you think about the demands that this walk has, this is one of the few courses where Oof. you can even see through TV the elevation change from number one T all the way down to the sixth green that has that bunker in the middle. If, if you look out over the uh, tee box of one down towards the 18th green, towards that sixth green, you're basically going straight downhill to the ocean. Uh, and if you watched him tee off, you saw him hobbling down the cart path, and he's someone who famously likes to wear metal spikes. So this is always going to be a tough ask, regardless of how difficult the course is. This is a major course. This has really tricky uh, Poana green. So... Uh, you're not going to expect a lot. You saw a lot of good shots, but you also saw a lot of uh, missed opportunities. So are you surprised with the with the, the score at the end of the day, the one over? No, but you also no. look, you saw Max Homa get to two over. You saw Justin Thomas, and I think you saw another player who I think whom you want to get to uh, finished uh, with a pretty, pretty dramatic back nine. Yeah, that's Rory McIlroy, who is back in the United States and not not being a cheerleader for the PGA Tour again. Um probably feels, I'm guessing here, probably feels they stabbed me in the back and I'm not going to carry water for him anymore. And that's fine. He's a very interesting guy, smart guy, Rory. But Michael, he had a terrible patch, right? He, he dropped, did he drop 54 places on the leaderboard in five holes, something like that? Yeah, you look at just 15 through 18, he goes uh, double, triple, birdie, Oof. bogey to finish. Uh, and I think it all started with the under the shadows of uh, of uh, Bogey's tree on, I believe it was on 12, as he gets to uh, this back nine stretch. Now, this is, you're looking at what happens when you have these signature uh, events and these players are really forced to play, not always when they want to. And you just think the travel that's been going on, uh, just sort of the wear and tear on your body when you're coming off of pretty big weather-affected uh, weeks. So uh, yeah. the bummer is you're getting these players to play and you're guaranteeing them through four rounds because... These are no-cut events, but you're not always going to see the sharpest golf because of that. I think on the flip side, the cool story is you look at somebody like Charlie Hoffman, who, who barely got into this tournament, asked Tiger for a special invite because Tiger's the host. Tiger said, sorry, but you're going to have to play your way in. And he did. That's, that's the new schedule working. And then you also see Tiger, who clearly was listening to a lot of the criticism when Gary Woodland, who's coming off of pretty significant brain surgery, did not get into the Pebble uh, tournament where he won the U.S. Open a couple years back, and he was playing in Tiger's group. So uh, it, it's sort of going both ways where you're seeing the pressures and the strains on some of those top names, but you're also seeing how this new ecosystem should work. Tiger remains the most captivating figure in golf, even when we don't think he's a threat to win tournaments, although he may be a threat to win Augusta because he's won it so many times. But he remains head and shoulders in stature above everybody else on the tour. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Um, I mean, it's why we're breaking down these sartorial choices when it comes to sun, yeah. space, day, space, red. has to be the rule of three, right? Yes. Uh, no, this is the danger. You look at how the tour seemingly got itself in this weak position because you're still relying on the personality of, of T-Dubs, but then you look out across the guys he's playing with and... Justin Thomas, who has that club twirl finish. And you look at the guys who used to be wearing the TW Nike logo. Uh, you, you see the influence uh, that he has on the style of all these players. And you see the way he just moves through the course. There's a different level of calm, a different style as he walks around, even when he's not playing his best, that it's, it's hard not to look at. But it always stalls that next generation from trying to figure out their own uh, you know, their own way to own the course or, or to own the or, or to own the screen. You look at Max Homa, who's done a really good job. Started by just being the funny guy that you saw on Twitter, and then it turned into someone who was backing it up with wins and really thoughtful responses. That's sort of the, the new model for what the tour should promote and what it's trying to with these sort of on-course interviews. But there's still nothing like walking, watching Tiger walk down through the fairways. It's true. It, it, it's absolutely true. And Tiger was a loner for a long period of time. 
and Tiger had intentionally so. There's yes, some guys and, who just aren't welcomed into the club, and he kept everyone at arm's length. He, he did that all the time, and yet the younger generation of golfers who are now in their 30s revere him beyond words. Right, Michael? Revere him. Yeah. Uh, again, these are you're now past the group of players who started playing because of Tiger, and you're entering this next generation where you even have you know, father-son, parent-child relationships uh, because of Tiger's play and because of these memorable uh, tournaments. It's not just my generation where, you know, we sit there, remember getting that SI for Kids edition with Tiger on the cover and, and sort of peeling out the, the cards. Um, and now it's sort of right of passage. The first time you get to meet Tiger, the first time you get to play with him. And I, I think he's gotten to be pretty good the last couple of years as to understanding how he needs to dole out these moments for the tour to share the wealth and just to give these little glimpses. I mean, mm. one of the biggest reveals this week was uh, in a practice round, they have In-N-Out Burger and they're reporting on him getting a double-double and then ripping off the pickles, which I don't think is traditionally served with a double-double. And that's actually the content that people want to see. Tiger throwing out pickles when he's eating a cheeseburger. Fantastic. Probably <laughs> you're you, wondering... What do you think of the Sunday Red, by the way? Well, uh, uh, yesterday's yeah, outfit, the, the white the very, outfit? Yeah, the very white on gray, the shoes. I can't get... Tiger always looks good. Tiger is the most... Let me just say this. I don't want to say Tiger is stylish. I will say that Tiger creates style for everybody else. Tiger is in the vanguard all the time, and he always looks good. That logo is creepy, okay? <laughs> it's skeletal and predatory, and I don't like the logo. And I understand the rationalization that the bones, there's 15 of them to represent the amount of majors that he's won. Is that right? 15, 16, whatever it is. My, it's, yeah, my goodness. That's some symbolism <clears throat> there. Yeah, and I just thought, no. On the last legs. No, we're counting, we're counting I, bones here. It's no good. I will say on the coverage, from a distance, it's one of those things where if you, if you blur your eyes a little bit, it kind of looks like whatever you want it to look like, which I think might be the point. Maybe. I just I can't get past the fact that it looks hungry, that it hasn't eaten in a long time. Emaciated tiger. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's not great. Uh, by the way, for those of you wondering why I haven't talked at great length about NBA games last night, it's because I don't have to. It's my <laughs> podcast. Um, although I will say Doc Rivers lost again. Milwaukee lost again. That's, I think their record is 3-7 and seven with Doc Rivers. Yeah, it's not, And I think there are some people who are thinking... It's not even the playoffs yet. Ooh, did we, did we make a mistake here? Yeah. Is he the wrong guy? I don't know. I always thought he was the right guy. It seemed like a perfect situation for him. Not but the early tabulations. And not. last night, Lillard and Antetokounmpo played and scored points. And they lost to Memphis. Memphis stinks. Yeah, that's... Memphis stinks. Well, John Wall's still out there. Maybe they could... No, oh, God. <laughs> On that note, we will take a break. Um, Pat Forty first or Jeff Passan first? What's the order? Uh, Pat Forty first. Pat Forty when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is Hershey Bell, a friend of Scott Parker, who is Midlife's Crisis. Oh, yeah. Hershey writes, I'm a home studio musician in Fayetteville, North Carolina, originally from Toronto. Go Leafs. I was at the 1967 Stanley Cup Parade, and I've been suffering for the last 57 years. Please accept my song, Don't Add to My Suffering. Day Job. I am the dean of one of the nation's newest applicant medical schools, Methodist University Cape Fear Medical School of Medicine. But my love is music. Been composing since age 12, 1969. 
so born in 1957, and the first song I ever fell in love with was the Beatles' Penny Lane. And all these years later, I've teamed up with Steve Rosebotham on vocals, uh, Adam Rogers on bass, and Ben Holmes on drums. And we wrote the song Cotton Candy Morning, which is based on a photo of a friend of mine posted from her porch, which overlooks Lake Erie. She commented it was a cotton candy sky. Hope you like it. We went for the Fab Four vibe. Hershey Bell, very, very nice. Playing in Pat Forty. Um, so I sat, I found out that I do have Peacock. So I sat in front of the television set last night to watch Caitlin Clark. I watched half. I didn't watch the whole game, you know, but I watched half. I watched her break the record. I watched as um, Iowa couldn't shake Michigan uh, for the first half at all because they, Iowa does not play any defense down low at all. And people get shots at will. I don't know if you watched, but she breaks the record and, and she's exultant, you know, and she broke the record the way she wanted to by hitting one from about 35 feet. What are your thoughts on Caitlin Clark and the record? And, and did, you, did you watch? I did. Uh, yeah. Like you, I found out I had Peacock. Uh, I, yeah. I, I, I yeah. was reasonably sure, but there's some gray area of like, okay, does one of my sons or my daughter actually have this subscription or do I? And you know, do I need to pirate the feed? No, it worked. I, I got to watch it. It was fantastic. And yeah, for her to break it on, on that kind of shot was perfect because she shoots it like no uh, woman's basketball player I've ever seen. She's Steph Curry of, of women's basketball, I would say. Just incredible range and a beautiful uh, fluid motion. And uh, she's just a dynamite player who's really fun to watch so that was that was great and then i did keep watching because she she kept scoring yeah it was incredible i wanted to see her get 50 she stopped at 49 but it was uh, it was an incredible show so so we talked about this yesterday on pti and i'm interested in your thoughts she does not have a championship with the exception maybe of lisa leslie the all-time great women's college players they all have championships I mean, most of them went to, you know, Tennessee or UConn, which is guaranteed to be in the championship, you know, for a period of time for about 10 to 12 years to 15 years or whatever it was. And they've got many of them have multiple championships. Brianna Stewart has four. Um, If Caitlin Clark doesn't get one, is it a downgrade? I don't think so. Um, You know, I, I... I, she's elevated a program to a to a different level, you know, at Iowa there, and I think you get credit for that. Um, she's been to a Final Four, been to a championship game. You get credit for that, uh, and it's just awfully hard to break the power structure that is in women's college basketball. It's getting better. It's getting more diverse at the top. You know, it used to be it was just UConn and Tennessee. That's right. Um, and now recently we've had we've had Stanford, we've had South Carolina, we've had LSU. Uh, so there's a little bit more, you know, I think competitiveness. It's not just two or three programs that are completely head and shoulders above everyone else. And I think she's she gets partial credit for that. So, uh, I mean, ideally, if she wants to go down as the greatest player in women's basketball history, she would win a championship. But. I still think I, I give her a whole lot of credit for, for her career, even if they don't this year. So Mike was of the opinion that it's an, ex- <coughs> excuse me, an exclusive club of the great women players and the great men players who have won championships. And if you don't get it, you don't get into the club. And my position was, no, not with her. There's no downgrade with her. She moves the needle like nobody moves the needle in college basketball now, men's or women's. It's dangerous to compare men and women on the same sport, but nobody moves the needle like she does. Nobody gets me to sit and find out if I have Peacock to see if I can watch (laughs) a little bit of this. And the crowds she draws and the money for scalped tickets that is, you know, that secondary market is created because of her. I don't know that we've seen, maybe Cheryl Miller, but I don't know that we've seen anyone like Caitlin Clark before. What are your thoughts? I agree, uh, and she has. She has brought a ton of new eyeballs to uh, women's basketball. I mean, incredible amount of, uh, I think, just work as, as an exposure uh, agent for, for that sport. And, 
you know, I, I'm not even sure. I don't think Cheryl Miller did that. Now, it's also it's easier to watch games now than it was then. So there's more games on. There's more yes. ways to see it. But people are doing it. They're finding the games, you know. And, uh, like, that was a – I don't know what the ratings will be for last night, but for a Peacock-streamed game, there, there sure seemed to be a lot of people watching that. Um, and, again, like, she is great television. She's you know yes. unbelievably skilled and exciting player. It's a wonderful shooter and fairly emotive on the court too. You know some people don't like the emotions necessarily from her, but but she's demonstrative and people respond. I think to watching her play. So she, yeah, they, this is not a matter of oh you have to win a championship to be validated. I don't think because she has done a lot for that sport. And not just a gunner. She is pass first every time she comes down the floor. Her assist total last, I think she had like 13 or 14 assists last night. She's the only person ever with 3,000 points and 1,000 assists. I will compare her to Maravich in the sense of that's the orientation of basketball. They always were pass first, even though they were great scorers. And I would also say that for some of these great names in college basketball, like Shamiqua Holdsclaw and Diana Taurasi and people like that, when they played, they were playing on teams that were so great that you went to see the team, not the individual. With Caitlin Clark, you don't know who's playing on Iowa. You're going for her, right? It's different. 100%. No doubt about it. Yeah. I mean, UConn, yes, that was a program. That was a team. Still is. Uh, Tennessee in the day, same thing. And with Iowa, I, and uh, you know, apologies to the other players, but it's Caitlin Clark. And she's the one filling the stands. She is the one, uh, you know, bringing out the, the kids wanting autographs, wearing her jersey. Uh, you know, that, that's, that is a one-person show kind of, to me, a li- it's, not, it's not the same as Larry Bird at Indiana State because Iowa's obviously a, been a legitimate program already. But in terms of just one player who has taken the, that thing to a to a different level uh you know there there have not been many in men's basketball like her i think and and you're right that i mean she's a fantastic passer i mean she yes. throws unbelievable she really passes is. Which, yeah another way i would compare her to steph curry steph curry's a very good passer uh he's just a better shooter so you shoot it more often but i mean she was throwing bullets last night she sees the game so well sees the floor uh has you know really uh, a a lot of confidence in that area of her game, so she's just fun to watch. We, we take this for granted this year that she's the biggest star in college basketball. <clears throat> and again, I, I, comparisons between men and women, that's a rabbit hole you don't want to go down. But I think it is noteworthy that a woman is the biggest star in college basketball right now, Pat. That's noteworthy. Oh, it's, it's incredibly noteworthy. Extremely. Mm. And you know, some people say, well, that's a condemnation of the men's game. I don't think so. I think she's just that good and that fun. Now, yes, could we maybe benefit from having somebody who was a little bit more of, of flashy and sensational the way she is in the men's game on a, on a star team? Like, Zach Eady is a great player and is fascinating in his own way, but he's not – you know, he stands five feet from the basket and he turns and he tears the rim down. That's you know, right. it's not the That's same. Right. You're not watching the same kind of basketball. So, yeah, there is nobody in the men's game who's remotely, no. I don't think, is interesting. I, I mean, she's got her State Farm commercials. She's, you know, she's on a different level. I agree with that. Right, let me move off this um, to something that amused me tremendously the other day. The notion that the notion first that there is a Pac-12, and the notion next that the Pac-12 remaining schools, all two of them, Washington State and Oregon State, want to get paid like a Power Five conference. Can you explain this to people as to what they're asking for? And maybe you're not like me, and you just don't find this ludicrous. I said on the air, if you believe in Tinkerbell, maybe you believe there's a Pac-12. But for the rest of us, this is a charade now. What do you think? What do they want? Uh, I find it I find it hilarious and <laughs> like I'm totally in favor of the Washington State president money grab here. Kurt yes, Schultz. me too. Yeah. yeah. I mean it's like 
you ruined my athletic department, but I have a chance to hold you hostage. I'm doing it. <laughs> you know, it's like, don't ask me. To, oh, you're standing in the way of progress. Oh, yeah? You destroyed my entire athletic department. Sorry. Right. Yeah. I mean, come on. So, yeah, <clears throat> basically the Pac-12 will cease to exist here at the end of the 2023-24 academic season. And then there are two teams that still have the name and that still have quote-unquote power conference affiliation and autonomous voting uh, within the college football playoff structure. And Kirk Schultz is like, you know what? We're using it. Uh, and it's like we, we are not going to roll over because you need unanimous voting uh, to change the structure of the playoff. And so they want to go, obviously, to, they, want to, they want one fewer automatic qualifying bid uh, for champions. And so he's like, well, no, no. He's basically, and yes, it's not quite as principled as, you know, Tiananmen Square standing up with your hand in front of the tanks because, right. because he really just wants to get paid. He's not That's trying all. to stop the injustice. He wants to get paid. So he will, he will, and I hope it's a lot, and I hope people are mad at him forever, but I'm not. Um, Wilbon is always saying to me he believes that a Pac-12 will be reconstituted. At my age, I look at it and I say, if you don't have USC and UCLA, what are we really talking about here? If you have second-tier schools, you know, that, that currently populate parts of the Mountain West or parts even of the Big 12, then it's, it's, it's just... Not the same, but he says it will reform. Do you think it will ever? Uh, I, I mean, I would say this, that we're looking, I believe, the, the new Big Ten contracts for eight years, uh, media rights contract, and we'll see, maybe after eight years when UCLA uh, is getting its teeth kicked in all the time and Washington and Oregon are miserable traveling back and forth across the country, they'll say, you know what? Maybe this wasn't a good idea. Or the other possibility is there's still this football league, but then that that doesn't include the Pac-12. But they say, you know what? This is so dumb for the rest of our sports. Let's reconstitute the Pac-12 as a all sports other than football league. I don't know whether that could happen. I don't know how easily it would happen. But there's a lot of people exploring the possibility of kind of just sending football on its own way in general in college sports because it has such a different economic reality and uh, and causes a lot of problems for all the other sports. So maybe that's an avenue towards it. But I wouldn't sit here and say, yeah, I'd say that's likely. Uh, we'll see what happens down the road. Plug your podcast for us. Uh, yes, sir. The College Football Inquirer with Dan Wetzel and Ross Dellinger, Yahoo Sports. You can find it on you know all the platforms and We'll talk about a lot of stuff on there, too. Thank you, Pat. My pleasure, Tony. Thank you. Pat 40, boys and girls, we will take a break. Um, we will have Jeff Passan when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is from Max Million, who says, I'd like to submit a song called Real Men Dance, the fourth single from my Quadrivium project, which was released in July of last year. The song is about the unattainable and unrealistic expectations people put on others and how no one can live up to what others expect, nor should they. Respect is the key, be you. And he says, thank you for the opportunity you give to independent artists. And he, and he talks about his friends who have been on the show, Jeff Raines, Midlife's Crisis, Scott Parker, the second person today. Yes. Hershey Bell also mentioned the great Scott hub. Parker and the Henrys on your previous shows. So thank you for your support. Again, this is called Real Men Dance. And Michael, if you are an independent artist like Max Million or like Hershey Bell and you want your music played here, how do you do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at tonycornizershow.com. And I'm happy to remind our listeners that we have a Johnny O code. Johnny O's back with us. TKT as Grandpa Tony is searching for the perfect pocketless tea. I think he's going to try something called the coarse, uh, coarse performance tea this uh, this winter. I will. I just I don't like t-shirts with pockets. No, not for me. Um, the music plays in Jeff Passan, and I will set this up this way: there are five huge free agents. Well, they're not all huge, but they're big free agents. 
They all are in the Scott Boris group. They are, and I'm trying to list these in, in my order of attraction. Cody Bellinger, Blake Snell, the incumbent, by the way, Cy Young winner. Jordan Montgomery, Matt Chapman, J.D. Martinez had a great year last year. I think he had 33 home runs and 101 RBI. It's pitchers and catchers are there. Baseball is going to start. What's going to happen with these fellas and, and Scott Boris, who, as I often say on television, may or may not be the devil? <laughs> I'm not going to call him the devil, Tony. I will okay. say this, though. All five of those guys will get jobs. They will wind up with big league teams. They will get paid exceptional, ridiculous amounts of money, and they will go on with their lives. But let, let us not forget, you know, four or five years ago at this point, when two very big free agents, two free agents even bigger than any of the guys that you listed, were still not signed. And those were Manny Machado and Bryce Harper. Right. Um, right. This, this, this happens when you have a free market system without a cap. It doesn't happen very often because, uh, you know, there are levers in place that tend to make an agreement worthwhile for both parties. But this, I think, is just one of those years where, uh, whether it's because of uh, Diamond Sports bankruptcy and, you know, the entire model of local television blowing up for Major League Baseball or for other reasons that we may not understand or know at this point, uh, the agreements haven't happened yet. And it, the, the players that you talked about, Tony, they're just too good not to get paid really well. They just may not get paid as well as what Scott Boris hoped for going into the winter. And at this point, it's just a staring contest. Who's going to blink first? Is it going to be the guy who wants a job and who wants to get into spring training and doesn't want to feel rusty going into the season? Or is it going to be a team that suffers an injury early in spring training or feels like, you know, maybe its team isn't as good as it thought it was going to be? I look at these people, and certainly at the top of my list, Bellinger and maybe Snell more than Bellinger, I would think mm -hmm. there'd be huge competition among teams for those two, right? One would have to believe. <laughs> and look, yes. you, 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 you talk with general managers, and they, they all say more or less the same thing, and not in a collusive way, but just in you know the, the kind of way like, how is Scott Boris still asking for these obscene numbers for guys? You know, if if he were operating in reality or a little bit closer to, to reality, then there would probably be a deal at this point. But you look back at Scott Boris's history, and when the man asks for obscene numbers, he typically gets them. I mean, we, we can't forget. Chris Bryant's seven-year, $182 million contract that was a complete rabbit pulled out of a hat uh, from the Colorado Rockies. Or, or Harper, where he yeah. waited until mid-March, and the Phillies still gave him $330 million. Now, it was over 13 years, so the average annual value of that deal wasn't quite up to the level that some of his peers are at, but it was still $330 million guaranteed. And I think he just believes in the quality of these players to the point where he's going to go to the mattresses for them. And as long as the players are on board with that, as long as they're comfortable with that, as long as they're okay with waiting around, not knowing what their careers are going to look like, not just in 2024, but well beyond uh, you know, th this is something that could continue to last and that I don't see a resolution for any of these guys, frankly, anytime soon. And, and that's a wild thing to say because, yeah, I'm in Phoenix right now, Tony. I'm going to camps today and I've been yeah. to camps recently and I've talked with guys like baseball's happening and that there are, you know, I, I've called them the, the Boris Four. Um, cause I think Martinez, you know, he's probably going to sign a one-year deal. Um, but the other guys, they're all looking for long-term deals, you know, like generational money and teams just are not biting at this point, despite the fact 
that when you look at MLB standings from last season, and you go through every team in baseball right now, there are like four teams that aren't at least trying to win this year. That's it. It is a more competitive environment than I've seen in a long, long time in this game. So and I have, I have that, two. Uh, let me just ask you. This. I have two questions about Boris that I, I that I, I think maybe you can answer, and I think they're important. Which is how is he generally perceived? Might there be not necessarily collusion against him, but just discussed with him? And has he ever misjudged the market? Has he ever done that? How is he perceived? I think there is a begrudging respect that is mixed with an extreme annoyance because the the way he operates is um, he will anchor at a really high number and he expects you to meet him there and he's not going to move off of it. He is not going to blink. He is going to play chicken and if that means crashing the car, then that is a consequence that he is ready to, uh, you know, to, I'm not going to say embrace, but to accept. Um, and yes, it, it has ended poorly before. Mike Moustakis, when he was a free agent, got offered a qualifying offer by the Kansas City Royals for $17 million in change. And he turned that down and went into free agency. And his market just never materialized. And he re-signed with the Royals for $6.5 million. Wow. You know, yeah, there have have been other cases, not quite as extreme as that one, but there have been other cases where, you know, he's asked for a big number and hasn't gotten it. And that's to be expected when you have the most players in baseball, uh, there are going to be some swings and misses. He's not the only agent who does this. Um, but because he is clearly the most prominent and, uh, you know, in terms of just the contracts that he signed for guys, the most successful agent in baseball, um, you know, there, there's a lot more attention paid to him and his maneuvering. And, uh, you know, when you have a situation like this, where, there, there really aren't a lot of chairs, and the music seems to be stopping. Uh, you know, how is he going to wiggle his way out of that? Is the the question that I get asked by executives, by fellow agents, by players, by everyone, uh, because they don't see a pathway to a good ending. But uh, you know, all it takes is a couple of things happening, and uh, you know, owners who have uh, their, their eyes on contending this year may just say, screw it and bite the bullet. Well, that which leads me to the Dodgers because the Dodgers have made the most noise in the offseason. The, Di- the Dodgers mm-hmm. have created an enmity. The Giants now hate them. Logan Webb can't sleep at night, <laughs> even though the Giants signed <laughs> free agents and, and all of that. And, and on, on a very small level, everybody saw when the Mets failed, and they had spent a bunch of money, and I don't think they spent it as well as the Dodgers, but they sure spread it around. When the Mets failed, yep. Buck Showalter was done. And everybody saw that yep. and understood that, including Buck Showalter. Is that kind of pressure on Dave Roberts this year? 100%. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to suggest that. Dave Roberts is in danger of getting fired before he's managed his first game in the 2024 season. Right, but sure. I think the I, but I think the Dodgers' expectations for this year and for the next few years, particularly as, as Shohei Otani is in his prime, uh, as Mookie Betts is sort of uh, moving toward the latter stage of his career, as is Freddie Freeman, um, as you see the ascent of some of these guys in the organization. Uh, they know their window, while open, um, may not stay open for as long as you would like. I mean, we've seen situations where teams were set up every bit as well as the Dodgers, seemingly. And, you know, the Cubs, they win in 2016. It looks like they're going to win the World Series for the next three years with that core that they had. Uh, they didn't even get close. Um, so I think the Dodgers having won only one championship in this decade plus long run of dominance in the national league West feels like they've missed a lot of opportunities. And, uh, I think the Dodgers understand that if 
they don't win this year, then maybe a change is necessary. That's what, you know, that when you spend this kind of money and you put that lineup out there, it has to land on a manager, I think. A general manager, too, but easier to land on a manager. That That's going yeah, into the it, season. The that's thing, the story. It's, it's not here's Tony. Here's why it's not going to land on the general manager. Um, there's a clause in Shohei Otani's contract, the key man. Right. That if he leaves, where yeah. If, yeah, where if Andrew Friedman's gone, Otani can opt out of his deal. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. But that, I mean, as if you were to handicap all the big stories going into baseball, everyone would agree. Dodgers are one through 10, right? It's Dodgers. That's what we want to see. Right. It's yeah, it's Dodgers or or some derivation of Dodgers. Yeah. To me, it's to me it's Dodgers Braves because the Braves. I'm not sure they're as well set up as the Dodgers, but you could also argue that they might be better set up than the Dodgers because they've got Ronald Acuna on a very very team friendly deal uh, for the next half decade. They've got Ozzy Albies on a team-friendly deal. They've got uh, Austin Riley locked up, Michael Harris locked up, Spencer Strider locked up. You know, you can go on and on the contract that Alex Anthopoulos, the president of baseball operations, has has signed players to. And it's been an absolutely brilliant job of team building by Atlanta. And so you have these two juggernauts that look destined to face off in the NLCS. Now, this is baseball, Tony. You have watched it for long enough that you know what we expect quite often doesn't happen. I don't think anybody saw the Arizona Diamondbacks going to the World Series last year. I don't think anybody saw the Texas Rangers winning the World Series last year, and yet here we are with those two teams having been in the championship game last year. So, uh, or the championship series, rather. So we, we can't sit here and anoint the Dodgers and the Braves as uh, this, uh, you know, these unstoppable forces. Baseball and the nature of the game prevents against that. But God knows that's the NLCS I want to go to. That's, those are the teams I want to see face off in a seven-game series because that thing would be a bloodbath. And I that's love totally to agree. those two teams. <clears throat> totally agreed. Thank you, Jeff. Enjoy Arizona. If you're in North Scottsdale, just go to Wilbon's house. He's there. Go to Wilbon's. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm shocked on anybody. He hasn't invited me over. And I, tragic. I, I don't get it. Just, just stand outside his gate. <laughs> Jeff Passon, boys and girls. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Jeff. All right, Tom. Take care, buddy. Yeah, we've got um, email and jingle when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Yeah, there ain't no secret about that. But when I gotta pay for it, it bugs me. Even though my wallet is fat. Well, honey, it ain't your money. Cause, baby, I got plenty of that. So please send me a big box of that. A free box of wine. A revolution toaster is the top of the line. Johnny Walker Blue. This is so good. This and the one where we're liquid. Oh, yeah, those Jeremy Vince. Are, are, those are the two best. This yes. is Joe Arrow, Kirsten Ownstad, Steve Lipton, Brad Weiss, Patrick Moffat. It, it's Stunning. Yes. It's <laughs> love absolutely that. stunning. Thanks. You want to do the Bethesda Bagel ad? Yes, Bethesda Bagels. We love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you will be thrilled. And before we get to the mailbag, let me just say when Whippoorwills call and evening is nigh, I heard a my blue heaven. Turn to the right, you find a little bright light that leads you to my blue heaven. That is Antoine Fats. Domino. <laughs> and this is that period of time in New Orleans where people go insane anyway. So we're crediting fats with that. Uh, okay. 
Um, thanks to our guests today, Pat Forty, Jeff Passan. Thanks to our sponsors. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. Let's do some emails here. This is from Ross Bridges in Lexington, Kentucky. Hey, old sport, opening with hockey, eh? I miss football, too. Did we open with hockey the other day? <laughs> we did. Is that what we did? <laughs> yeah, I can't tell you how much I miss football already. From Tyler Harper in Alberta, Canada, after a long NFL season, I was elated when you began to talk about hockey. My joy was further fulfilled when you began to talk about the great one, Wayne Gretzky, and my beloved Edmonton Oilers. That would have been enough, yet you continued to bring happiness to my cold, snow-covered morning by recognizing the achievements of my boys, Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid, and then putting the greatness of Gretzky into perspective. I love my Oilers, no matter how frustrating being a fan can be. You made my day. I love it when you talk hockey. Can I be the official Calgary-based Edmonton-born Oilers fan of the Tony Kornheiser show? Or at least can you say, eat it, Calgary? Here, now I do remember, because we, we lit behind the curtain. Yes. And we talked about the Annie. Yes, the Annie on PTI. Yeah, okay, yes. I didn't realize it would get this sort of response. Wow. Very passionate. From Craig Stevenson in Mobile, Alabama. Your discussion of Wayne Gretzky and his ridiculous hockey stats reminded me of a pastime I have, which is to go on newspapers.com and search a given celebrity to find the first references to him or her in local or national newspapers over the years. As you might expect, Gretzky's exploits were well documented from an early age in his hometown newspaper, The Expositor of Brantford, Ontario. Some of the stats he put up are just insane. Here's a sampling. December 30th, 1968, Gretzky, then seven years old, seven. scored four goals in Brantford's 7-3 victory over Welland in the first round of a Bantam League hockey tournament. June 5th, 1969, Gretzky, then eight, Six goals in Brantford's 12-1 victory. This was in lacrosse. June 4th, 1971, Gretzky, 10, struck out 15, hit a single, double, and triple in Dunson Mayfair's 27-10 win over Jack's Snack Bar. Ooh. I wish I'd played for Jack's Snack Bar, obviously baseball. <laughs> the expositor ran a lengthy feature on the 10-year-old Wayne in October of 1971, calling him superstar for minor sports teams. The story notes he began skating at 3. And he scored 158 goals and passed out 66 assists in 31 games as in lacrosse as a 10-year-old. In 76 hockey games that year, my God, he had 196 <laughs> goals and 120 assists. His coach noted Wayne is the best novice hockey player in Ontario, if not further. Gee, you think? <laughs> the Toronto Star first wrote about him at length when he was 14 in 1975 after he'd lost an appeal to play for a high-level amateur team in Toronto because he had not properly established residence in that city. The story notes that in 78 games and as an 11-year-old, he scored 333 goals. <laughs> 78 games. <laughs> what? what? That's over four a game and had 118 assists. Wow. Just well, the great one. Wow. Time for the David Sampson. <laughs> David Sampson, Westport, <laughs> Connecticut. Gretzky is undoubtedly, maybe we should do hockey more often. <laughs> Gretzky is undoubtedly the greatest scorer in hockey history and right up there as a puck handler and teammate who made everyone better. Case closed on that. But he didn't revolutionize hockey like Orr. Take a look at defenseman scoring before Orr and then look at 1969-70, the year he broke out and also the year he broke the Strangers fans' heart. He had 120 points, the first of six consecutive years of over 100. He created the offensive defenseman position. His passing was always spot on, and nobody has ever ragged the puck like he did, single-handedly killing off power plays. Hockey changed when, Gret when Orr appeared, and I'm not sure the same can be said for Gretzky. So who's the greatest? I'll take Orr for his great play and historic significance. Here's the Bob Ryan and Bobby. Wow. Wow. Here's an, um, yeah, this is David Sampson in defense of, of Bob Ryan. Hmm. Um, more hockey. My God. <laughs> Mike Mackler from Wilmington, Delaware, Chuck and Roxy, episode 110. Just a slight correction about Wayne Gretzky's World Hockey Association career. He was signed by the Indianapolis Racers, played there briefly, then went to the Edmonton Oilers. The great one never played for the Cincinnati Stingers. I said he did. That's my mistake. Although his future teammate Mark Messier did, perhaps I should start a coffee shop to discuss the World Hockey Association. Is the name Cafe Wa taken? <laughs> W-H-A. P.S. Put me down for Denny Hamlin in this Sunday's Daytona 500. I watch that every year. I watch some of it. I always like, because it's important sure. in that sport. Yeah. And for a while, it was important to us on PTI because ESPN had the, had the contract, had the NASCAR contract. That's right. Then we lost the contract and they disappeared from our lives. Even though some of the guys who were on with us, Jimmy Johnson, 
for example, were wonderful to talk to. Isn't Brad Doherty? Brad Doherty, wasn't he? uh, Brad Doherty is a race car guy. Yeah. Along with being an NBA great. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. no, he's a race car guy. Number one overall pick. And that reference to Cafe Wah, I think that was an actual club in New York, which has Chandler found Jimi Hendrix as a performer. That may be the case, but I mean, he he wanted to do it Cafe Wah's in WHA. Oh, there you go. Uh, from Bobby Gottfried, my favorite fact about Gretzky and how far ahead he is of everyone else in assists is that you can take away every goal he ever scored, all 894, and he still has more points than anyone. Yarmir Yager is second all-time in NHL points with 1,921, and Gretzky had 1,963 assists. <laughs> Add in his goals, and Gretzky is 936 points clear of everyone else. And that's why it's a tough call by Bobby. <laughs> right. That's sort that's of a the tough other side call. of it, yeah. Uh, from Reese in London, Taylor Swift should marry Nick Taylor. That's it. That's the email. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> Taylor Taylor. Um, Cam Weens. Camden emailing from Abbotsford, British Columbia, hometown of the Waste Management Phoenix Open champion, Nick Taylor. Nick went to my rival high school, Yale. No, not that Yale, but... They like to think it is. <laughs> Since Wilbon is on his latest crusade against analytics, I'm surprised that he has failed to mention the very anti-analytics viewpoint um, that, of course, a Canadian of all golfers is going to thrive under the conditions of wet, muddy, beer-drinking yahoos yelling obscenities at you mid-swing. Life up here is one long Buffalo Bills-esque tailgate. <laughs> That's nice. <clears throat> oh, oh, this is okay. From Joel Harrity in Kansas City, Missouri. The interview with Louisa Thomas was fabulous. Bonding over football with my 13-year-old daughter is something I never expected. If I'm honest, it's all because Taylor likes football, and for now she likes Kelsey. As a father of two teenage girls, I'll take all the bonding I can get. If you know, you know. Excuse me. So to the angry fans who don't like seeing Taylor on the TV, go kick rocks, you morons, because you're obviously missing out on a special opportunity with the women in your lives. But we all know her history. And I think I'm ready to help when the inevitable happens. What do you think of this album title for the inevitable breakup of Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey? Travesty with I-S, not E-S. Complete with an album cover of his 87 jersey and her snazzy new coat just lying on the ground as she walks away. I don't know anything about marketing, but I think that's a winner. Um, P.S. Back in December 2022, I had emergency surgery to remove a golf ball-sized meningioma from the front of my brain. However, it could have been one of many errant tee shots from my amateur golf career, bouncing off a tree and right back at me. Anyway, listening to your pod made me laugh all day and really lifted my spirits that week and in the weeks of recovery that followed. I'm doing great now. Apparently, I've developed a mind for marketing. Who knew? And that's very nice. It's very nice. That is. Um, Claire Natola, who is now in Delaware, Ohio. I didn't know there was such a town as Delaware, Ohio. Didn't realize that about the Buckeye Cool Aunt Claire. Uh, In Monday's mailbag, Alex in Springfield, Missouri wrote, please tell Brian Muller to eat it. He and I will be seeing Dan Byrne, at which point you asked in amazement, how does this work? It's called touring. It's an activity undertaken by professional musicians in an effort to deliver their music in a live performance type situation directly to their fans and to those they hope to turn into fans. Yes, people actually leave their houses to enjoy the experience of listening to live music in venues such as clubs, theaters, concert halls and arenas. Some of us are even lucky enough to meet Mr. Wright at a concert, but that's a story for another email. When was the last concert you attended, Tony, or should I ask... When was the last, or what was the last concert? When was the last concert you attended? I don't know. The Zombies, maybe? Maybe the Zombies, a few, couple of years ago, three, four was years ago. Was it at ago. the Strathmore? No, the Zombies was not at the Strathmore, I don't think. I don't know where the Zombies was. Was it in Maryland or something like no, that? No, it was in D.C. It was in D.C.? It was in D.C. What are the great m- music places in D.C.? Uh, well, that's a Dark question. Constitution. Yeah. No. Not the 930 Club. I don't see you going to the 930 Club. Uh, no. So it wasn't the Verizon. Mm, no, 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 no. It was a, a club that usually did uh, go-go music. It was, it's a, a, a theater. And now I'm just blanking on the name of the theater. Oh, like up by U Street? Like that area? Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. What yeah. is that theater? It's not, yeah. yeah. And that's where we went. That's okay. where the zombies... Yeah, by Ben's Warner Chili theater? Bowl, right? Yes. yes. Yes, by Ben's Chili Bowl. Yeah. I just don't know the name of it. I will, I will so anyway. Right now. All right, if you're out of your bike tonight, everyone... Is it the Lincoln? Everyone, it was not the Lincoln, I don't believe. Sorry. I don't know. If you're out of your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. I'm Eggy Eisenhower, English. Really? 
so l'inglese, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, ah. Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, Saturday. Apollonia, <laughs> the late great.